All right, guys, thank you for listening to The Bomb Pod. Fresh new episode coming out today. First Zoom episode for sure that we've done. Here with my homie, my longtime friend and confidant, Retro. Hey, Juan. How you doing, dude? I'm great, man. It's great to be on the show, man. I've always wanted to since like episode one and just just never got around to it. So we've like had, we, we have something to say now. That's good. We've had mutual friends on here before, so we're just growing, growing everything along, man. So how you been? How's 2020 treating you? Not bad, man. Not bad. Um, I was listening to uh, the podcast you had with Alex, and I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of people kind of resonated with that one. You know, just he did. Um, I- uninspired at times, you know, through all this. Yeah, man, it, it's definitely gotten great feedback. It's my highest. Uh, listened one yet that, that one eclipsed my last one so that the, it makes it's good energy but the amount of honesty i've been getting from the people i've been speaking with as of late has really been very apparent about this tough time yeah man so just just with 2020 at first it was kind of like i just wish i had more uh things in the tank like as far as like video stuff just in the tank that i could really kind of play with because i felt like it was hard to write and do other things creatively but as far as like uh, video stuff i was like man if i had a bunch of stuff that i needed to edit this is like perfect editing flow you know where you're just yeah. kind of locked in in the house and you just need to edit i guess it would be equivalent to um a recording engineer you know like if, if somebody had somebody in the crew that they just had like 60 songs for the crew, you know, and they just haven't gotten, you know, uh, mixed yet. This is the perfect time to mix. Like there's no excuse for mixers or um, video editors because you can just kind of lock in and it's more of a logistical thing, like mm-hmm. more logistics than it is like impromptu or having to think about something creatively. It's just now, like managing the workflow. For the people who, who who are not aware, what exactly do you do? Because you said you, you rattle on a couple creative things you do, but I'm sure the people don't know. Like, what would you title yourself? What would your what would your slashes be? Dang, that's that's um that's deep. <laughs> that's deep, man. Um, I think I'm still working on that. I think I think my biggest something that's been interesting about me is I kind of have different hats. You know, I've been playing around with different things. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still working on it, man. I'm still working on that title, but um, yeah. Um, I'd say in 26, I had a bucket list at age 26, I had a bucket list and I put, um, I put make a documentary, write a memoir, write a novel, make an album and get a six pack. <laughs> those are my five, man. Those yeah. Are my five. And, and it was just one of those things like, you know, before you die, kind of what you want to do. So yeah, I guess based on, on what's on that, you know, I'd say, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm the like opposite of a gatekeeper, you know, like I'm the one that's kind of, I know what it's like to be, on the audience side and what it's like to be on the creative side. Yeah. And I feel like my goal is to kind of break the mode of both of those, you know, and that's, that's definitely something I wanted to talk about. Um, I feel like 
it's cliche, but once I kind of polished my mission statement, like things that I kind of want to leave behind in the world, Mm -hmm. it was easier to uh, carry on with action versus having to worry about a job title or like what I see myself as, you know? Um, I think I would have to maybe look at it as like, how do others see me? Yeah. I think others see me as somebody who's very creative, very resourceful and is forward thinking, like somebody that um, kind of knows where we're going in the next five to 10 years. And I think I'm just kind of like the, like the 40 Shabib in the room, you know, or like the, the Kanye, like, you know, where I can kind of mix and mingle these different things and, and, and make things happen or, or, or bring a spark you know, for things that people may not see. Now, I, <clears throat> I do remember you being heavy in, in, into rapping and you're part yeah. of the reason that I got uh, the confidence to start making videos on my own once I kind of understood yeah. some actual uh, arts or uh, classic styles of filming. Would yeah. Elaborate more on, on at least one of them because I've always known that anything you stuck to, you, you tend to be successful at from even when you were athletic and, and back in the day to the how you shifted to creative stuff to even, you know, success, you know, through university. So obviously everything you touched, there's a method to it. But what was the first passion, the first love that really got you into it? Okay, cool, cool. So, um, yeah. I've always, I've always been into sports, um, but uh, when I was younger, uh, some of the things I used to do creatively first was storytelling. Um, I used to really like writing fiction. A lot of people don't know that. And then I gravitated towards uh, like poetry, and then I kind of got into to music, to rap. You know, I just, just felt like I could really see colors when I was listening to music. And, and even just being around you and some of the guys, like, I, I branched out into other genres. Um, but it's funny, it's funny you mention that because I feel like I've been a rapper my whole life, but at some point, you know, and it's something I wanted to talk about, um, but at some point when I, when I turned 26, I had about 2K on me that I, that was kind of disposable. Like I had like maybe five or 6K saved, but I had about 2K that was just kind of like, I wanted to flip or use for something creatively. And um, I had a choice. It was to get a mic, to get your, you know, your typical 1K or 2K uh, mic set up or jump into the film game. And when I was in college, a little bit before that, I was really into storytelling. I really liked to read features. Um, Every time an artist would drop, no genre, didn't matter any genre, um, I would go out, I'll buy the Fader magazine or buy the GQ. Um, you know, I have a bunch, bunch of magazines and I'd read it. And I just love these feature stories, just figuring out where the artist's head was at while they were making this. You know, one of my favorites is uh, uh, Some Kind of Blue, uh, the one they did for uh, Drake when he went back to Toronto mm-hmm. and when he was making Take Care. So I've always been big into features and, and just getting the untold story. Um, and in college, I was... I majored in broadcast journalism. So I always felt that was supposed to be my career path. And I always felt I was supposed to have multiple career paths. Like there was going to be one that was going to get me in the door. Yeah. And the other one was going to help a little as well. And I'd say the first, I'd say the first step of like 
be an entrepreneur or just like getting to where you want to be is taking that risk, you know? And even like now I got some, I got some music equipment, but I'd say when you get like 2k, like 1800 to like 2k, it'll be the first step is like just taking that risk. Right. And I feel like a lot of times people talk about like failures make you who you are, but I feel like a little deeper than that, it's, it's taking risk, you know, like the capitalistic dream, anybody it's taking that risk, you know, like betting on yourself. And I feel like failure gets more of the love, but it's, it's really the risk because you can do something without failing and learning, you know, like back in the day when, when there was a, when there was rappers, you know, if you went to DJ premiere, if you went to some big studios, you have to memorize all your stuff. And then on top of that, you have to pay for recording. You might be mm-hmm. paying like 80 bucks an hour, hundred bucks an hour, might not even be mixing. Right. So just for one single, you might be paying to anywhere from like 250 to 500, unless you really know somebody. So it wasn't really people failing as rappers. It was people taking risk, you know? Yeah. So I was in the, I was 26 you know, in my head. I'm thinking, you know, Jay-Z already made it at this point. And then I'm like, all right, if I take this risk, which one of my talents would I be able to cultivate now and really love? And it was film. It was film, you know, out of all the things I could do, I could write, you know, um, videography, photography skills, could wrap my butt off, something just my energy, you know, where are you spending your time? It was film. So um, I jumped into the film game first. And that's why I had 2K, my first risk, my risk reward. I was like, hey, I could flip the camera game. I could make some money and I could build a portfolio. And I always felt counted out when I was um, in news because um, they weren't really giving me creative outlets. It was more so just like, kind of like internship, kind of like entry-level stuff that I couldn't build a portfolio off of. So that's what I wanted to do. wanted to build a portfolio. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so crazy that um, through our creative journeys that we go through just changing our medium because some of them, you know, quite honestly are, are, are more of a young man's game. Like uh, even, mm-hmm. even you, you think of like rock star stuff and you're like, that's something you want to do in your twenties, but you still have like kiss performing in their seventies. So yeah, it, it's weird how that longevity works, but I understand just being a director is, is so much more interesting. You get mm-hmm. to be entitled to the entire picture. What did you figure out when you wanted to do that, that you wanted to shoot? Did you want to compose? Like, what did you want to see as one of That's your products? Good, good question. So um, at this point, I had a little bit of things that I was really good at. Like, I knew I could shoot a music video. Um, I knew I could do a, a few things. But what they tell you to do whenever you take a risk, whenever you do something, right? They say, do what you know first. So just going off of that, I was trying to go out with something that I had an in, something that was longer because I knew that I could do something shorter at some point. So I know hip hop. I know hip hop like the back of my, my hand. And I had a buddy, his name is Drops. And he was big in the battle rap culture. And I knew that there was a niche that nobody had really done a cinematic 
documentary on the battle rap culture and I had an in and it was bubbling like it was it was hot to the culture but it was still an early adopter culture where not yeah. a lot of people knew the ins and outs so um 26 I grabbed my camera in March my equipment basic necessities from B&H tax free shipping free and I was on, bro. I, I had a couple things I wanted to do, but I knew the first thing was going to be a hip hop documentary, some kind of ode to hip hop and my respected crew. And then October came, I hit up drops, um, went to the Starbucks on Kendall Drive because he was around there, hadn't seen him in a minute. And I was like, yo, drops, I want to do this documentary. Um, I want to make it big. I know, I know you haven't really seen what I could do with the camera game, but you know, you just got to trust me. I went to school for this and I want to do a documentary on battle rap. So that's what I did. I, I went with, what do I know? And that's what I knew. I knew hip hop. What is the process of, um, I mean, you're doing this basically um, on the confidence of yourself, right? You're, you've not yeah. put together a project like this, but you right. do have background education and, but right. you're I also, do entering into a world where you're you know you're trying to document stuff that's live and i I like battle rap so i know it's an intense thing it's not a passive thing and (laughs) and it could erupt at any moment and and like you know filming the right this and someone receiving it poorly could make the the shot of everything so what plan did you go in to into doing this or did you just kind of just wing it and then put something together based on the, the footage That's a good question so before i get into anything i find source material so around this time i had already had a lot of source material before i even purchased the camera right um but the source material that i started leaning towards there's a vimeo is a big independent film making community so i was on a vimeo for a little bit and there was this person that caught my eye. His name's Sean Dunn. His style has pioneered a lot of the indie culture. And a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know that. Uh, so Sean Dunn, he has this uh, this short. It's called um, American Juggalo 2, where he gets deep into the American Juggalo uh, scene. But it's very cinematic. So one of his um, leads, his leading subject I believe he met from the American Juggalo one short that he did. It's a documentary. Um, but Sean's style is very amazing. It's, it, it hits like a movie, mm-hmm. but it's rooted in reality. That's what I like with documentaries. Uh, it's very cinematic. And what I liked most is that his documentary wasn't about rap. It wasn't really about the music culture. It was how there's, these subcultures right these there's yeah. these social models that bring people together and sometimes they're misunderstood as being rebellious or being um something that should be shunned but in actuality there's it's something that gets people through their day and his leading subject um was a paraplegic he was in a wheelchair because he tried to kill himself um at a railroad track and he was just talking about the the ups and downs that come mm-hmm. with that um but what i liked most is that sean used these interludes with um an artist rapping with, with the lead the lead was aspiring like rapper he did in his in his you know free time and he was rapping a lot 
and you're getting these like surreal moments of like this guy's life and you're just a fly on the wall like sean's really a pioneer with like fly on the wall yeah documentary work and you're getting all this but then you're getting the fun like almost this hip-hop element and and that's what gravitated me towards my style it's like i'm gonna be a fly on the wall you're not gonna hear me speak you know you're not gonna it's not about me it's about the subjects and intentionally I winged certain moments that could have been very structured to yeah. get these authentic experiences where it wasn't diluted in me having a motive. So a lot of my stuff was like that. And I got that, you know, I was inspired by Sean Dunn uh, for doing that. One thing I noticed um, through the, when, when you were promoting it was mm -hmm. that it definitely had a, a you know, a, a cinematic feel. The colors were very gritty. And you definitely did get the 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 vibe of of exactly what you said, like flying the wall, like someone in their room um, watching this. Um, yes. How much footage did you compile? I mean, and how much ended up making it? And and, and did you check with people in the scene back and forth? Yes. So the craziest thing, JP, is another thing that was sourced for this was uh, Nardwar. I was watching one of his TED talks. Oh, he's the greatest. And you know, he comes off, sometimes you hear something and it seems very basic, but if you don't do it, then it's not common sense and it's not basic. So I'm listening to Narwar and he's talking about how he blew up, whatever. And he was like, look, nobody wanted to work with me, whatever. But I realized the power of asking and the power of hearing no to the point where you're used to hearing no, and it gets you closer to your yes. So uh, long story short, he just, he just asked, he just asked certain artists and they got back to him or their reps got back to him and said yes and he said that his reputation started to precede him that since he had a catalog of these different interviews and they're very quirky and the people saw that he was very like his research was on point that it helped him build to the next um big interview and you know i kind of see that as like pillars you know yeah I try to teach people around me and you know something i'm going to teach my son that you know even if you can't see five or ten years from now you can look at what you're doing now as a pillar you know so mm -hmm. example like me i want to i want to put out an album before i die i want to put out a, a book i want to do different creative things but sometimes i'm in the moment and i'm like how how is what i'm doing gonna build the foundation for my legacy or when i die how are they going to connect the dots to what I'm doing and how's it going to kind of latch to this bigger picture of, of my legacy, you know? So kind of got that from here in Nardwar, just in between the lines. So originally I started with Florida stuff, but originally I had hit up disaster and he got back to me and, um, I, I, um, I hit up uh, Daylight, I hit up Saint, I hit up a few female artists, a few female battle rappers. And a lot of things were scheduling conflicts because I really wanted a, the female um, aspect to that too. They have a, a league called Queen of the Ring. So um, originally, I wanted to pitch this to Vice because I had a summer or two where um, I was in Miami and I was like, you know, I was, I was teaching and I was like, look, I could really go ham in the summer. So 
originally I was going to pitch it to Vice. And when I was doing my research with Vice, I was realizing that their finder fees sucked. Like sometimes they'll, they'll get in a meeting with you. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. And they wouldn't, they would either not pay you or they would take your idea and run with it. Mm. And I was seeing what Vice was doing and I was seeing what Noisy was doing. Right. And I was like, man, I really, I really want to do webisodes because I'm a big fan of battle rap, but you would never get the like intricacies, you know, like the kind of like the HBO, you know, premiere, like before you see a Manny Pacquiao or Mayweather, yeah. you wouldn't get any of that fun storytelling. And I was like, why, why is it not there? And one of my first ideas, there's a battle rapper named Big K and he used to, he used to be in prison and he used to um, kind of fine tune his battle rapping skills in prison. And then when he got out, you know, he, he started cooking. He's one of my favorite battle rappers. Um, so originally I was like, man, I want to figure out a way to get in the room and be able to go back to his old prison block and see, you know, some of his homies that are getting out and how mm -hmm. he kind of inspired them and all that. And I was like, but this is going to be one of those things where I need to build a rapport enough. You know, I'm not going to be able to do it now. I don't have a big enough platform. So that's why I was thinking vice and all that. And then I just kind of polished it down. I scaled it down and I was like, look, this is what I'm going to do. Nobody's really hitting the battle rap niche and this is before bodied i had been working on this before body mm -hmm. so i was like this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna tap into the battle rap documentary culture so well that over time i'm gonna be able to do a something like that with big k and i'm gonna do what i can without the big corpse and then at some point if they if it makes sense it'll make sense um dumbfounded i hit up dumbfounded immediately in the beginning before he started cooking with power and everything and his management got back to me and they're like, Hey, sounds good. Um, can you send us something that you've done so we can get a little feel for your work? I had zero, zero portfolio at the time. Damn. So you were really, uh, <laughs> yeah. Asking zero, for it. Zero. Right. But then I started thinking of Nardwar and I was like, bro, people really get back to you. Some people don't, some people are snobby. I've had experiences where I'm like, yo, this guy, I know he started from nothing and now he's acting brand new, right? Mm -hmm. Certain people. But then I was like, damn, there's really people though that it's just all you got to do is ask. Yeah. So that was empowering. Um, and what I started to do is my friend um, Vince, he had a, a webisode called Train of Thought where the concept was to um, get inspired, insp aspiring creatives in their element uh, during certain subway um, station runs and things like that and yeah. get their get their story so um i would fly out every blue i would have like these random vouchers because if, if ever i went to um california if it's like an hour late they give you like a 200 dollars voucher i don't know why but cali's always on it so i had a couple vouchers and i would fly out to new york uh certain like holiday weekends mm -hmm. i'll link up with vince and we would get some stories so long story short i just built built connections and stuff with my friends and i build a a strong enough portfolio that I felt good that if I reached out to somebody, I could show them some back catalog, but it ended up not working with dumb because every couple months when I would start to mold the documentary and send them things, he'd be like touring in New York. And then one time he was touring in Cali, we just kept missing each other, but his yeah. management was, uh, was cool. And those were, that was one of the first, um, people that I reached out to. So it was, um, it was empowering to know that all I had to do was ask. And there's um, the battle rapper in my documentary, Oops. He was a um, state rep. And I had the week off while I was teaching. And I was like, hey, 
um, you know, I want to come out. I'm doing a battle rap documentary. And he was like, absolutely. I hit him up like maybe four days before I was going to go out there. He said, absolutely. I had a voucher. I think I got a flight for like 120, 160. Slept in a car when I, in the rental for one day and had some other fun experiences we can talk about later. But yeah, I got a story, man. I got a story and all I did was ask. That's so great. Yeah. Um. So... You get all the footage, you you get propel mm-hmm. forward, you start editing it, mm-hmm. you're almost finishing it. What's the what's the process now? Because you have a finished product. How do you go yes. on promoting it? So the home stretch was um, taking it to film festivals. So mm-hmm. I I originally I didn't know if I wanted to do film festivals. Um, you know, at this point, my mentor was Sean Dunn, and I would listen to him, and he was just like, hey. You know, he, he just had his own experiences about staying independent and how film festivals, you know, you can do without them. But yeah. I didn't want to have that question of what if, and I thought it was strong enough. So I, um, I sent it to a f- couple film festivals. Ironically, I didn't send it to Miami film festivals. Why not? I, I knew the politics and Miami Film Festival with the film festivals in Miami because mm-hmm. I used to um, I used to do a couple things down there, and I really thought it was strong enough, but it was one of those situations where I was like, I only wanted to send it to three. I was in the late deadline because early deadlines like uh, spring, so I yeah. was already like in fall for some of the deadline because uh, drops and I kept missing each other. Hold on, hold on, um, hold on, JP. So um, drops and I kept missing each other uh, and we finally hooked up in fall. But um, so late, reg- whenever you send something to a film festival and it's during the late registration, it gets a little higher. So I might've been in the like 80 or hundred dollar range for some of them and maybe 60, but some of them start off as like, let's say 40. So at some point, the Miami film festival deadline was as high as sending it to like, let's say Sundance or South by Southwest. So I was like, man, for this, I'd rather send it to somewhere where it's going to be a little bit more, it's going to make sense, you know, like, so that's what kind of made my, ultimate decision but i still tried to find one or two film festivals that were kind of indie so i think i picked one indie one trying to think of the name and then i think i picked sundance and south by southwest all right so what was the result of that so um i got back i got the rejection letters like sometimes february march i was like bro they just don't understand um there was a there was a um documentary that had the same guy bruce franks because we had interviewed him around the same time and they were winning all these awards. It was called St. Louis Superman winning all these awards. Um, it was at the, um, it was at the, uh, I'm trying to say Emmys, but it's not Emmys. Um, what's the one with, uh, with Parasite? <laughs> I can't even think right now, man. I'm not even I'm sure. <laughs> but um, so it was winning all these awards, man. And then it was because I want to say Oscars because I'm such a I'm such a music head, right? Um, I can't even think. They're like he lost his credibility. I'm like I'm sleepy. Um, so yeah, so um, it was it was winning all these awards, man. 
And um, what ended up happening, St. Louis ended up uh, being nominated for like best short documentary. So I was like, man, I'm in the right place because I had interviewed the same guy, you know, I had interviewed uh, Bruce Franks. Mm-hmm. So um, long story short, it was like four of them. It was one with like skateboarding, uh, the Oscars. It was one with skateboarding and a few others. And um, it didn't win, but it was getting a lot of buzz. MTV ended up picking it up through the film festivals. And that's another cool thing. Like if you get enough recognition through a film festival, um, a network or like a big film production company may back it. Because what people do is like shorts are like the mixtape of films. So if you make a good 10 minute short and you're like, man, I did this with like a thousand dollar budget. They're like, dang, you know, uh, a feature length is like an hour and 20. Mm-hmm. You know, if we give him 200 K, imagine what he could do with, with what he did with 10 minutes, you know? So it's a good, it's a good, like um, way to promote yourself. And um, it didn't win, but I saw it on MTV. I was excited about it. And I was like, man, like I had this Kanye moment. I was like, man, these people are that much better than me. Like, I just felt like my part of the documentary was way better, way better for Bruce, way better, but then get that same recognition. And I know it's more of a networking thing, but um, yeah. So after that, I was like, you know, I didn't want to put on YouTube. I had it on Vimeo and I didn't want to put on YouTube because I didn't want to have to deal with suing or things getting put down. And um, there were a few things that were more like documented paper trails through email. Some of them were like, just like solid calls. Like, yeah, you can, you can do that. Um, but I just, I just felt like YouTube might not have been the lane for it. And then I had dropped it a few times here and there and people were sleeping. So I was like, you know what? I need to outsource. So I made a, I made a, um, a poster for it. Mm-hmm. And I made sure I had enough cuts like for the, cause I had rounds in there, but I had been kind of lazy with my, with my graphics. So I outsourced the graphics for like maybe 10 bucks for all three graphic cards that I used on Fiverr. I like using Fiverr when I need oh, to outsource. That's great. I love Fiverr. Yeah. So I outsourced on Fiverr for the poster and the rounds and it just made a load of a difference. And I think I had a typo there that I changed felt comfortable doing it on YouTube. I downscaled the editing so that I didn't have any like copyright issues. Yeah. So I downscaled it and I put it on YouTube, sent it out to a few people that were part of the project. And I really only wanted 150 uh, views. Right. Mm-hmm. And now it's at a thousand. And I'm glad because I don't see, I don't see something like this is, something for recognition like yeah it'll be cool if it gets ten thousand. but what i really saw it was is something in my portfolio mm-hmm. you know something that's a pillar so you know down the road when i die or if i need another gig or you know i'm rapping or i'm doing something like that's cemented in stone like he created one of the first cinematic battle rap documentaries he put florida on it's beautifully done. He could have had so many other things in it, but with what he did, it's perfect. And he's capable of doing that. You know, so that's how I see it. That's how I measure success. So it's at a thousand right now, but I don't care. And I really only wanted 150 because, you know, what I think too is like the second thing you want to do as a creative, after you take that risk, you invest your 2K 
into something that you can bring it back, whether it's your music equipment, whether it's your um, photography equipment, whatever your hustle, clothing, trying to get 2K, right? 1800 to 2K Mm -hmm. and go all in, right? People can tell you, oh, you could take failures, but it's also the risk, you know, it's the risk you take, you know? So after the risk, I think the second thing is audience, right? Who's your audience? And to me, my number was 150 followers, 150. I I feel like I could take over the world with 150 people. So I got to this number because at some point I did want music equipment. And um, another reason why I went to film first is because I knew I could make money off of film. You know, like my first year and a half, I made like maybe $850, maybe 900 off film. And it doesn't seem like a lot to people, but to me, it was cool because if you're making any kind of money, it's an investment, it's a flip, you know? And I knew starting off with music, it was going to be more of a passion thing and I was going to lose more. And I knew that I wanted music to be something that I didn't have to worry about making money back. And I wanted to be in a great creative space to go back to the music, you know? So I didn't feel like I gave up, but I did feel like, just the film made more sense. Like I could be passionate and I can get a little back in the income game. But yeah, I got to 150 because the next thing I wanted to do on my bucket list was, uh, was uh, write a book. So I've been playing around with, with some fiction stories, but um, the main thing I wanted to do was do a memoir because like my whole branding is about like just thinking in terms of opposites and almost like kind of putting my brand in this parallel universe where I do things that are very avant-garde, you know? And I always thought it'd be fun to do a memoir, you know, in my twenties for something that I would have said maybe in my forties and fifties before my accolades are, are respected. How would you so, make mm-hmm. a memoir for so young, so convincing though, since you, you're, yeah. you haven't <laughs> lived that long either That's to, it. That's a good question, man. I feel like I've been in my 40s and my 20s, though, you know, like my 20s. And you could probably, you know, attest to this, right? Like Mm -hmm. just how boring I was sometimes, right? Like, damn, make have a drink, you know, or just little things. But um, my idea and I've had this idea for a minute is to write to like the letter of my unborn child. right? Mm -hmm. So. It was, I wanted to title it 2040. And at that age, I'd be 50. And it'd be things that I would want my son or my daughter to know going into their like 20 or 21 years of life, you know, but, but hoping they'd still read it at around 13 or so, you know, um, sometimes what Jay says to me is biblical and I'll, I'll never forget on new day. He's like, you know, it took 26 years to find my path. My only job is cut the time in half. Oh man. You know? that's, that's my favorite part of that yeah. tour. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I want to really give something to my children because I feel like sometimes kids don't listen to parents, but they'll, they'll stumble upon things that are influential to them. So I wanted the memoir to act as this kind of um, clear headspace for creatives. Mm-hmm. And I know there's certain things that I have to rewire in order to feel comfortable creating, right? Like sometimes it doesn't come naturally. Like you got to fight. You got to be like that Kanye in the room to fight for your like creative spirit. So 
um, I figured in 2040, I'd be able to do it. And as it was evolving, right. And I'm just saying memoir, but it's deeper as it was evolving. I had, um, there was an artist in Miami that, um, that took his life. And I was like really close to him. Like, not, not like how, like we're close, but just like how, like you'd feel maybe really close to Metallica. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. like that kind of vibe. And it caught me off guard because whenever I would see him, we would talk and stuff, but he was really living that like starving artist life, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes people embrace it, but then you really don't know how they're taking it, you know, because at the end of the day, we're artists and sometimes you care about how you're being perceived or what you mean to the world a bit more than others because you don't feel like you're a tool or you're in the matrix, you know? Oh so my God, he yes. took his life and then oh, no. one of my closest friends, you you were um liking some of the stuff that I had put up on Instagram the other day. Um my other my other close like this guy I was really close to. Like this was like I would call him like my father, you know, but he was only like two years older than me, but he was like a father figure. He was like my OG. He took his life. And I was just thinking, man, I was just like, you know, I, I, I don't like going too deep into mental health sometimes because I feel like some people try to capitalize off of it and make it like this whole like trend. But I started to realize that as I was trying to build something for my unborn child, that I needed to give something to the world now that was very tangible, that was practical advice of how to move in the world mm-hmm. as having a, a, as being a creative thinker. You know, that somebody is thinking outside the box, but feels boxed in. So that kind of just bridged everything for me, you know, and and, and I felt like it was going to be like a meditation on living with a creative mind, you know. So that's why the memoir was easier, because it was supposed to be it's supposed to be a mix of anecdotes, but also practical advice. And I guess just from my reading and my experiences, and 26, just you kind of finding your path, right? Let's say it was easy to give my son something, you know, mm-hmm. like that. Because I feel like sometimes memoirs come out when somebody's like 50 and they've seen it all. Yeah. But you're almost like, damn, what if they would have gave me game when they were 30 and I was 18, you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can't wait, you know? And I think this is the whole theme of this week too. Is like sometimes you can't wait until you've experienced it all to be resourceful. You know, like that's kind of how they play artists too, right? Like an artist will sign you. And then when you're 35, they'll tell you how to sign other artists or how to get out of your little matrix trap. It's like, bro, you could have told me that before I signed you, you know, the deals that Kanye was offering people versus the deals that he was getting as I heard. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, so thinking about the memoir, I was like, you know, if I can get 150 people to buy this book or to buy into this book, right. And I'm big also on like, you got to know things from an audience perspective, from a consumer perspective and an entrepreneurial perspective, you know? So you got to know how much something's worth, right? You also got to know what you're willing to pay for it or, or, or how you're being played as an audience member, you know? So I was just like thinking, I was like, you know, obviously I'd probably try to triple my profit. Like if, if the book was four bucks, I might try to charge 14 or something, you know, other things I, I don't go that high. Other things I might just be like, I just want to break even. But I was like, this is going to be like my Kickstarter. Like if I can raise 800 to 900 bucks with this book, I could put it into another 
kind of creative endeavor like music you know like an album you know like i can use that for you know instruments or you know like beats or, or something like that so i kind of took it as a way to flip that and invest it into the next the next thing and i feel like 150 just happened to be my mark with my you know with the total profit you know the net and you know what i would get back the surplus mm-hmm. you know being around 800 and 900, 800 to 900 so i was like you know i could do a lot with 150 people that just believe in me and, and feel like i'm giving them something you know and then if i triple that you know within two years to maybe 500 i'm good you know i'll, I'll stay with that 500 so that's how i've kind of seen you know my approach you know my first couple of baby steps was take risk and then find your audience, build, build, cultivate your audience. How big of a risk are you willing to take though, to, to reach to the next step? That's, 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 um, that's a good question, you know, and for everyone, it's, it's different, you know, for everyone, it is different. I think the, the way to learn how to go to the next step, I'd say the third thing would be to cultivate wherever your energy is going nice you know what i'm saying so like Mm -hmm. sometimes you you'll see a buddy right and be like bro i know this guy this guy's a yoga teacher now this guy's fake as fuck he's a yoga teacher this guy (laughs) used to smoke blunts and sit on his couch every day he's a yoga teacher you know but you may not know that at some point maybe they were just doing yoga every day they woke up they were tapping in yeah and they realized that all of their energy and time was going to seeing a better physical, you know, feeling better, you know, and, and you could say it's Trent, whatever, but maybe that, that risk they took, they opened up a yoga studio or whatever they did. They, they cultivated where their energy was going. And I think it's just like love. You can't determine who you love sometimes, you know, it's, it's a gravitating, it's an unspoken thing. So I think to figure out what risk you're willing to take, it's a, it's an unspoken thing. You know, you see it all the time. There's a rapper, there's some, there's some artists and they're like, yo, I was doing nothing two years ago. And then it was just like this unspoken thing. It just, you know, was speaking to me and I gravitated towards it. That's interesting. I, I, I think that um, people will sit sometimes uh, between what they feel is risky and what they feel is enough to do. Cause risk, risk is, Risk could mean a lot to different people. Sometimes it's betting the house and, and sometimes it's just consistent small bets. So there's, there's definitely uh, ups and downs to it. Cause when I hear risk, I, I rather just, I give up the house. I am. I know you. I, know I am. You. I'm all about like, I don't care what it takes. Uh, so like, but as life gets older, that mentality for a lot of people tends to go away. Um, cause like, you know, you have life and these other things, but at the same right. time, you're still dealing with that same create creative itch that you've always had and sometimes people don't listen to those uh flames and they they just have to revel in it all the time it just destroys them and sometimes risk is a positive thing too like example uh, a buddy of mine when i was first walking working on the documentary he was trying to get rid of his ps4 to get a ps4 pro right and he was Mm -hmm. like hey um just give me a hundred bucks for this ps4 bro because they're trying to play me a gamestop and I was like, bro, no better feeling. And now, right, with the quarantine, I'm like, damn, bro, I'd love to play FIFA every blue or anything like that, right? But I turned it down because I knew it was going to take away half of my documentary time. 
you know mm-hmm. so even sometimes risk is also like you know do i want to sign to this major this year or wait four years yeah because what they offer you, know? you that means your value is a lot more than what they're offering too yeah but but it may look good you know and mm-hmm. that's not to say you know everybody's situation is different and i'm not trying to everyone's situation is different but i'm saying that like sometimes risk can be something that's given to you and there may be an unspoken responsibility or energy and time put into it you know yeah man i i feel that that's that's the crucial development of it <clears throat> what I, what i think happens though is the as with any person who has purpose and wants to do something mm-hmm. if you keep digging that ditch into conformity like you're just digging a longer hole to get out of it yeah and that's a good point I haven't met a lot of people who aren't wanting to do stuff, but I have seen a lot of them allow life weigh them down. And however they want to allow that to that, but as you start seeing, as I did, as you get older, that that kind of that negotiation starts to be a little bit more hazardous in our heads. You've been mentioning yeah. 26 is like, like an age that you've realized these things. And I, I'm pretty sure you wish you would have realized that shit at 21 so you can get more time. Um, but I think artistically, that's just the shit we have to go through. Like I have to create just like you got to create no matter how I feel, how old I am and mm-hmm. however society dictates, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's, um, that's a good point. I, um, but I feel like we cultivate things at different times, you know, like I think 26 just happened to be the right the right time like i happen mm-hmm. to get my money up you know you know um or just i just i was ready you know i'm i'm very like like you said i'm very in my head i'm very i'm very calculated but i i move i'm impromptu but i move when it's right and it just seems to be the right like i don't really dwell on on when and i guess we'll get into that a little later um but i think it goes back to what we were talking about with having this ultrasound right when i was when i was 21 coming out of college i felt like i was in this and i and i joke and i say you know they used to say that the midlife crisis with 33 35 now it's like 23 oh my god and i feel like i was in this bubble where it was like i was supposed to conform and just be this like very vanilla bland person at work and just not love anything i liked um, when I was younger, because that's being an adult, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I started to realize is as you get older, the things that kept you out of trouble or kept you curious or kept you loving life, though that's kind of rooted to your passions. And there's got to be, you know, this thing that I'm kind of coining as your ultrasound, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's this sound in your head or it's this, this conscience where you're tapping into your youthful spirit. So no matter how older you get or any new hobbies you get, there's a kind of linear connection to your younger self. You know? I take I, care. I feel like that's the, the way it has to happen. I feel like I get re I am more invigorated to be artistic now than I was in all my twenties, because in all my twenties I was fighting every major battle take except for that one. I agree, man. I'm listening, man. Um, and and now I have more freedom to do it because 
Mm-hmm. I, you spend all, all that your 20s and you kind of accumulate game. And now you realize that, guess yeah. what? The game is not changing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. All I can change is how I approach it. And yeah. there's plenty of success. Because I know age is the, the most I, mental I thing for age that. Is, it's, age is definitely mental, but I, there's so many ways to break that barrier. Now there is, I, yeah. I think I, I think forward you, to yeah. talking about that today for sure. I mean, like, go at like, I feel like what allowed me to break that barrier was getting older and realizing that, you know, I'm only racing against myself. So like, what, what helped you? So what helped me was for age purposes was realizing that, like I said, the pillars, right? Just, mm-hmm. just, I'd say the fourth thing is just the pillars, right? Like, instead of looking at it as five or 10 year goal, like, what can I do that's going to stand the test of time and that is going to almost be in my resume, you know, like just seeing it like that, you know, an example um, of what helped me with age is that I kind of developed this mission statement, you know, kind of developed this mission statement where I was reading built to last and I was reading a few other things and I was trying to see my creative aspirations as like a business right mm-hmm. and i hate when people used to tell me find a five or ten year one year ago and i used to hate when people told me think of a mission statement i thought that shit was corny as fuck and then i heard i heard nipsey say it once and and to me like my two top mentors and you know i've been saying it forever mm-hmm. even when people were hating on nipsey um nipsey and socrates are like my two like like i'm their students right and he said it and i was still like this is corny but I kind of bumped into built to last. I, I tried to go back into my routine when I was in college. And you can ask Wasker, Wasser, he'll verify. I used to write 100 bars a day. I didn't leave the, unless it was going to class. I didn't leave until I wrote 100 bars a day. I would check Forbes, Fastco, uh, Brain Picking. Those are like my three um, websites. Mm-hmm. To the point where I got a song called Heavens for a G in 2010 and I shot it out Warby Parker. When would you say Warby Parker just blew up JP? Are you talking about like the glasses place? Yeah. Yeah. The glasses. Uh, why? <laughs> but I'm just saying, when would you say it blew up? Like maybe I 2016? I honestly have no idea. That's funny. <laughs> okay. But I'm just saying that um, there's just, there's just this kind of, vibe where like it wasn't a thing in 2010 but there's so many like kind of like these little niche resources that i would use every blue that was just early adopter shit so i remember i remember back then forbes in 2010 was talking about uh warby parker i was gonna like kind of disrupt the industry and you know they they probably sent their prs out to kind of fix that you know and just kind of promote they were talking about can academy which i still think is like crazy dope right now and I forgot what the other one was, but I was just saying that like, these are the things I was on. Like when I was in college, it was just like, just kind of seeing where we're going to go, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that was like my routine. And the other, like 2018, I think it was, I kind of just went back to some of that and like kind of checking Forbes, kind of checking certain things I used to brain picking, checked fast co and, uh, they did this uh, 
they did this article on um and I, you know I have the Pharrell one. I, I like Fasco. They mm-hmm. had one on um Janelle Monet and how she was kind of trying to build her brand, build like her her label and her brand and some of the books that they were starting to do a brain trust with. And the three were um, Creativity Inc., Built to Last. And there was another one, but I think I had already read it. So I didn't write it down. So I started reading Built to Last, immediately purchased Built to Last Creativity Inc. Creativity Inc. is one of my favorite books of all time right now. And I'm reading Built to Last, and they said the same thing about the mission statement. So at this point, JP, I'm pissed, right? <laughs> Why? I'm like, bro, <laughs> if I hear another person say it, tell you not, man two weeks during winter break, two weeks. So this might've been 2017, two weeks, bro. I'm really thinking about this, right? Really, I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this mission statement thing. you right, just thinking. And it came to me, man, it came to me and it was, um, my mission statement is to make others feel more comfortable in their own skin. Oh, okay. That was my, that was my mission statement. And regardless of age, me standing behind my mission statement has given me a foundation that when I built these random pillars up, mm-hmm. I don't see age. Okay. I don't see age. So example, right? Like when I did the 30 documentary, I had that foundation of like just making battle rappers. Cause sometimes people are like, why do you do this? Why do you go out? You know, like I, I kind of gave them a cool why, like, this is why, you know? Mm-hmm. I had a bunch of scripts. I forgot to tell you this too. I have been writing a bunch. I have so many scripts. I have so many like film ideas, book ideas. I had this um, script idea that I kind of scrapped and I brought it back once those two people passed that I talked about earlier that I had this idea called nine where um, the main character has nine lives and um, nine lives in a sense that he has nine near death experiences, kind of like a cat, you know, cat has nine lives mm-hmm. and um, just really built on it. But I had scrapped it cause I didn't know it's why. And I didn't want it to be cliche cause mental health started getting popping again. And I wrote this when I was like 23. And then once the two, the two buddies died, I was like, man, what would have happened if I would have put this out in the world, you know, and, and really gave it a proper script and, Film day gave it a proper 10 minute short, tried to shop it around, maybe see it on Netflix. I'm like, mm-hmm. this might have helped somebody get um out of their anxiety of like death and suicide, you know? Yeah. So just back on that mission statement, I was like, I gotta pick this back up because this is gonna make other people feel more comfortable in their own skin. And I had been thinking about it this week, right? Because I know you a lot. I was like, JP, what would JP's mission statement be? And I'm like, regardless of what medium JP's in, JP's mission statement is attack your fears. You may have something different, but I'm saying from my my point of view, Mm -hmm. when I hear Nitro Boys or I hear a couple joints that I tell you like, yo, that's my favorite, the call and response the way you're, you're calling the action for the audience. I feel like whenever I'm with you, you, you give me, even if I'm very confident and the fear you bring up is like minimal, it's like 2% for me, but I know it's 60% for someone else. It's like this constant attack your fears, you know, do what makes you uncomfortable. Don't regret that shit, you know? So that mission statement really, really helped to gauge the age thing. And another thing that, 
helps me with the age thing is with my branding. I've always tried to be like this time traveler, like this kind of parallel universe troll, you know? <laughs> so I have so many things I've written in my 20s, music-wise, script-wise, et cetera. And I've always told my friends this, you know, like now that I'm, I'm hitting 30, right? It's like, And I got, and I, and this is another thing I would say, this is like kind of like business model, right? I, I put this as the step two, like step 10 is, will be like your business model, right? Um, I used to always read whatever my, my favorites would read. So I read a bunch of books, Jay's read, a bunch of books, Pac read, a bunch of books that Nipsey read. And one of Nipsey's books that he would praise was Purple Cow. You can find it online and stuff. It's like 50 pages. And in Purple Cow, they talk about, the unconventional right and why the unconventional wins in certain situations right like they they had this um example of this bar that was word of mouth like it just said Shh. and the only way you knew about it is if somebody told you about it mm -hmm. and it was like back in the day like let's say 60s or the 20s or something it wasn't like in this current market and it got so popping so packed that they had to change it to like another place and it kind of died but it was just going off of how like marketing sometimes it's not supposed to make sense yeah. and how like you're supposed to be unconventional and you can get the most out of that. And just through things like purple cow and just the way my, my mind's wired. Right. I started to think about audience, right. This has nothing to do with purple cow. This is just like my epiphanies, but I'm just giving you my, like what helped me get to these epiphanies. Mm -hmm. I started to think that your audience, right. You can't see things from a music perspective right now. You got to see it from an audience perspective. You only have two kinds of audience members. You, you really have three, right? Like, you, you know, mainstream hip hop, you have like your people that are in the matrix. They just get spoon fed, whatever the label gives them, right? Mm -hmm. Like whatever's popping on the radio. And then you have like your underground, right? So if you think of it like in this current age, right? You only have two audience members. You have an audience that has heard everything in your back catalog and they're like, man, this person's so slept on, they're underrated and they yeah. go to war for you. Like they know all your shit. They're trying to, they're, they're like almost like trying to be like the messenger, you know, like how Jesus had his descendants because people were sleeping on Jesus. You know, I told you, told you he was a chosen one. So <laughs> you have like this audience that'll ride for you because you have so much quality that they want to be like, I'm the early adopter. I was here when everybody slept on you. Yeah. You know, and then you have this other kind of audience um, that you may only have a hit or two, but they want to be the early adopters. They want to say, I saw it when nobody was coming, right? Like mm -hmm. your weekend. Like we were all on board when we heard um, in the morning, right? Yeah. So you have these two, these two um, audience members. And when I was in my 20s, I was telling my buddies, I was like, look, Cause my buddies were kind of self-conscious because they had like three or four dope albums, but not everything was hitting. Right. Yeah. And I was like, look, bro, you got to attend to one of these audience members. You either based on what they were telling me, I was like, you either wipe all your shit. We do one or two dope ass singles. People think that you just started rapping yesterday. This mm -hmm. is something you can do in your early twenties, right. Or early yeah. in your teens. And I was like, we, we spend whatever budget we got to spend on a dope ass single. And we milk the, album release kind of like what rory did you know yeah still a good but plan today right exactly and then 
this is my plan, right? Like I'm 30 now, right? So this is why I don't care about age. I have so much music stuff, but I never had like the equipment that I needed because I had banked on film that I'm like, look, if you're my age and you're feeling like it's it's not cool to be 32 or 30 or 29 or 28 and drop that new new, you know, like, but Griselda's done it, right? And, and another thing going back to what you're saying that people get in their 30s, I just, eight of my favorite albums right now are from people that, especially in rap, that just turned 40. Mm. I just heard Lecrae shit. I've always felt like he's been like hit or miss. His best project, 40. ASAP Rock, um, Impossible Kid, at least from a flow perspective. I think he might get better with beat selection and kind of, you know, 40. When he did Impossible Kid. You know, you look at the Griseldas and stuff, they're getting mm. up there. You know, you look at the J, you know, Magnum, Magnum Carter. You know, you look at certain things, it's like, we're in a streaming era, bro. So the my marketing plan is going to be drop a lot of shit and just because I have timestamps for the most part, like yeah. when I wrote it, whatever. Like, bro, oh, I dropped this when I was twenty four. I dropped this twenty fourteen. First off, right now nobody's gonna care enough, and then at some point I'm just gonna build that catalog. So then people are gonna be like, damn, bro, they've been sleeping on retro. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like you have that power, man. You have that power to, if you had some, some cool EPs, you know, in 2013 and, and you want to put it out, you can put it on streaming. Oh, this came out October, 2013, you know? Yeah. He's going to check that shit. You know what I'm saying? And get to the point where you're building a catalog, you know, because when we were, when we were in twenties, we wanted everyone to be the one. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. We wanted to just have three albums and be like, you know, if I would have had a three album deal, I, it was a three and out. But when you're older, you can kind of play with your catalog to the point where if you drop something new, people have a back catalog to go to enough content that like they're just, oh, this is my favorite artist. They got a couple, you know, records they can go to. True. You know, especially with streaming, it works, you know? So I have a bunch of things in my 20s that I just want to, kind of record, get out there, timestamp it 2016, 2018, 2014, 2013, 2012. And, you know, if I, if I get to the chance where I drop my magnum opus at 32 or 36, it's fine because I'm, I'm still giving the audience the where I came from and it's going to be polished because I'm still recording it. Do you feel like you still have the same vigor for making new material? That's a good question. I feel like I'm more conscious of what I'm saying. I don't feel like my um I don't feel like my form and function is is where it used to be. Mm -hmm. But I feel like what I'm saying or, or or the energy, the vibrations I get, the source material that I revisit now that I'm older is timeless, you know. Yeah. And a lot of the things I listen to now are timeless. Like what's in my rotation right now? is uh, Jamila Woods' Legacy Legacy. I think that's the best album of the last decade. And Who Told You to Think by Milo. He dropped that young, bro. He was, he was a young buck. He was like 25 when he dropped that. Oh, shit. Um, but yeah, so those are two that I always go back to. I've been getting back into Christian hip-hop a little bit. Oh, okay. And just seeing that, like, as they've gotten older, they've broken their barriers of feeling like they only need to cite a biblical scripture every other bar you know like i'm hearing mm -hmm. their stuff and i'm like bro they're vulnerable they're saying things that are not mainstream and they're saying things that like i would hear from a kendrick or something and they're just 
they're able to kind of polish that I'm God fearing and I'm a God person, but you know, friends are shady sometimes, or, you know, sometimes I just want to sit on my boat and chill or smoke mm-hmm. a stogie, you know, like they're, they're more relatable. I feel like the Christian hip hop community is more relatable right now. And I've always been a fan, but uh, I've been using that for a lot of source material because it feels like grown folks music, but it's also got this nostalgia to it. Yeah. So that's what I kind of report back to, you know, and it's different from a hip hop perspective, because if you have an ear, if you don't pick any trap heavy shit, you can find things that are timeless. But in your field, it's a little different because I feel like in other genres, you're playing more with like colors. You're playing more with like big sound versus low sound, you know, like. You know, like we said, just trying to find that ultra sound. That yeah, man. Color and sound textures. Like an error. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the game for me. Colors and textures. More, more important thing. But yeah, man, I know I've been talking a lot. I want to, I want to tell you, like, based on what we're saying, man, like, based on some of the things we're talking about, what do you, what do you think about that? Like, how, how do you think that might help, help you or, or us moving along? What specifically? Just like not worrying too much about age right now, kind of developing a mission statement. What are going to be some of your like um, risk moving forward or where you see you putting your energy, even sonically too. Cause that's what I noticed too. When my main thing with rapping is like, I was still like, I had an innate ability to rap like fucking Nas or AZ, but I would gravitate cause I could do it in like five minutes. I can make a big, big Sean or Drake record in like two minutes. So I was dealing with this like hip hop dilemma, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but now the music I gravitate towards is the music I want to make, you know? So like, I guess I would ask you music wise, what energy, like what, what are you driven towards more sonically and how is that impacting your, your creative space? Um, I've always got music because I know you're big on clothes and stuff. And I was going to bring that up to like, you know, if you, if you think about the risk, the risk thing, right? Like Drake wanted to do merch from the get. Everybody was like, yo, I'm ready for this OVO sweater. Let's get it. Oh, he mm-hmm. didn't drop merch until nothing was the same. And he was intent about that shit. And I know you've seen a bunch of interviews. He would, he would only give it to his buddies and he didn't make merch a thing until album three dog. He was focused on the music, you know? So I think a lot of people that you don't realize how many people really do what I'm talking about. We're like, they don't invest in that next risk until they're able to put enough full-time energy into that next thing. Um, it, it depends on how you're looking to scale. I, I, yeah. You know, in, in my process right now, I am, I finished music research. There's music done. There's now music that has to be finally finished, which, and then in the background, I have to start thinking about the visuals to accompany the music. It just becomes a, for me, it becomes like a, like a, like a sprint basically. Yeah. And there are just some parts that are more fun than others and some things just need to get done. And, um, right now more in the anxiety of wanting to do work, um, not necessarily in the creative part. Like I think I already did my research. I've done my, um, my thought process already. So I just kind of want to get the product out and like, I have this like, it's like an itch to finish it so I can like hear it in a year and hate it and then figure out how to get better. (laughs) Like I'm in the thick of it. I I am so in the thick of it. So it's just like, like I I know what I want to, I want what I want things to look like, 
mm-hmm. at least I have that, but I'm in the thick of it. So it's like um, kicking my ass to start doing everything after the year it's been. And just, just uh, more focus and more lining up. The same thing with the podcast, which is something I enjoyed, but I fall out of just because of the COVID stuff. So mm-hmm. reaching out to more people, having better conversations, because that keeps me fueled up too. So it's, it's a mixture of a lot of things. And it's like you said about your, um, you know, basically your, no, not, you can say avatar, but like basically your brand. Mm-hmm. Um, just figuring out how to do that. Ultimately, I want my brand to be like, I could just do whatever the fuck I want all the time. So as long as I'm moving towards that direction, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. The thing is now like looking up how to, how to make money off everything, right? How to make more money off podcasting, how to make yeah, man. YouTube I money, think, a little bit in every pot. Yeah. I think that's where I'm at too, where I'm just like, you know, I got to create an LLC at some point and I got to like, just kind of fine tune things that way and, and talking to people about it, you know, uh, talking more with you and, and some of my buddies about, just legitimizing things, you know, like, you know, Hey, might, might do streaming again, you know, what should I use this showcase or this, you know, to core or, you know, I want to make an LLC, but you know, I'm also, I want to get my papers right. You know, should, you know, what, what register agent do you use or, you know, what, what website was the, the smoothest for you? You know, like little things that I already know who to talk to, but I just haven't had a chance to like, I'm not there yet because I'm still trying to work out the creative things. Like I'm the type of person that I'll do a bunch of research. Like before I even wrote one book, I was doing research on how to self publish. And then I went back into writing the book and then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to full out LLC and do this, this, this until I have some finished products, you know, which I'm almost done with. But yeah, I get you now. It's about the, the monetizing, you know? Yeah. I mean, not to the extent, I, th- I think you have to think, um, you know, snowball effect. Like if you get one sponsor, you can get more. Just like you said, the power of asking. Yeah. And, and ultimately, if you have three or four different avenues, you can do that. You can quit your day job quicker. Yeah. Or not even and- have to. Or just, just take a smaller workload in different places and live a more uh, balanced life with more things to do. Yeah, man, I agree. And, um, you know, Nipsey was, was big on that. You know, when I used to look at his interviews and stuff, he was like, he's like the best way to, the best way to create is to have three sources of income. So you're not solely striving off of making money off of the thing that you create, you know, and, and that not everybody can get, you know, get to that point, but that was um, inspiring to hear, you know, like to try to have these, these different avenues where like so when you tap in it's not about it it's about how fun that shit sounds when you crank it in your car you know or how yeah. you feel when you're when you have the top back you know you listen yeah. to your own stuff every element of it um i mean for me it's just laborious i know other people describe it i'm like well the fun part is is in between the labor it's the hearing it the way you want it to sound like for the first time or stacking these ideas in the way that you want. Like that's the fun part for me, but mm-hmm. you know, the, for a four minute song, like the majority of people don't know what it takes to get into that. Mm-hmm. So it becomes like, yeah, I'm going to stress about that on myself. But like, like if you get too close to me, you get that information, but yeah. the podcast is to reveal that. So I'm, it, it is fucking tough. And I know why people don't do it. And I know why people only do like one or a couple things, but 
at this point, I would have it no other way. Like, what's the alternative? You know, mm-hmm. I might as well just gun for it. And the same thing when you said I was speaking about legacy in my prior episodes, mm-hmm. because legacy to me is really important. And it's even more important now because of the lasting effects. I think I've realized that my words have and I have towards everybody. So there's more graduated purpose towards everything we do now. So we have to accomplish those things because how are you going to, how are you going to teach your kids to do something if you've never done it? A lot of parents, I feel like operate on like, Oh, you shouldn't do this. I'm like, you it ain't work for me growing up. I mean, I know you, you headed the more conservative direction. I didn't, <laughs> you know, once I got out of my oversecure uh, house that I basically had to live on, like on eggshells, I just busted the fuck out. So, yeah, yeah. I you know, eggshells too, man. So I know, I know exactly what you're saying. So, I mean, everybody comes to different, different results and shit. But the one thing I wanted to do is, hey, how are you going to establish a relationship if, if you can't accept the truth? Right. Cause mm-hmm. you know, I, I think even right uh, not, not right now, but on IG just seeing like, you can't have your kid come and tell you the truth if they're going to be mad at you for saying it. And it's, right. that's, that, if it only takes one time for you to be mad. Think about that as a parent, one right. time for you to overload for them to never trust you. It's, it's a hard game to be in, yeah. but the legacy stuff then flips. Cause if you, if you are successful in what you do, and you can live off that or you can provide off that. It's an easy example to say, be like, you can do this. Ideas yeah. aren't far fetched if they're from somebody you know how to do, which yeah. I, I had a, a filmographer on the pod. This, by the time this episode comes out, that one will be out. And he was just like, I went from, you know, making no money to asking for six racks of production at least and having this and this and this. So the power of asking is huge, but the power of belief is even bigger. And then the power of a legacy combined to all that just make you into a fine chiseled machine that yeah. I guess like me wakes up at six in the morning, no matter what happens, because I got to get shit done. Like it's not even yeah. fun anymore. It's not even, there's no feeling anymore to it. It's just like, I got to do shit. Like, yeah, dude, totally feel you on that one. Um, it's been the topic of everybody's mind as I've been talking to, to more people of like how 2020 treated you or it could re- it could have removed a family member remove your job yeah. it could remove the whole bunch of things from you yeah. you know my 2020 was different though because i would always wake up 4 a.m 3 a.m 2 30 a.m work out eat clean like i was a machine in my 20s and this year was one of the few years i've had three years in my life that i was just living like in a very fun like almost Truman Show manner it was um 2000 a little bit of 2010 2011 2018 like the 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 like half year of that and 2020 mm-hmm. you know and and my my quarantine was a little different because I started to like and I was 29, so I started to be like, bro, my 20s has always been like living in my 30s. Like, I just want to live in my 20s a bit. So 29 felt like college to me in the sense that like I woke up whatever time. I didn't worry about what I ate. You know, it was it was like a it was like an evolution. It was like a circle where I, I tried to like just embrace being a nobody and embrace like relaxing for a little because i i knew that once the quarantine left 
we were going to miss it. And I think it was teaching us things about like some of the things we've been talking about were like legacy or what's really important. Like is a nine to five really important, obviously, you know, to get bread, the capitalist society, like really to provide for yourself, to move the mobility, but you know, and just, it just kind of made me appreciate just being in a room of, of one's own space and like cultivating my feelings and spending time with myself. Yeah. So that was, that was great. That was great. As far as, um, the quarantine went it made me like kind of chill out because but it didn't happen naturally like it's, it's something i'm bragging about now but it didn't like i was like oh man you know we're gonna be quarantined gotta make this gotta make this gotta gotta do my bucket list now and then just something just made me just stop and just be like no nah, man this is not what it's about it's about you know hugging your wife and calling your buddies making sure they're okay you know being kind you know, listening to yourself, you know, and I gained some weight for it, but <laughs> it just makes my bucket list look that better. Now, when I look at six pack, I'm like, all right, there's still something I gotta, I gotta attack. So I just see it as something fun, like just another challenge. And I think that's what, like, as you get older, that's what it is. It's like, what can you still have fun doing? That's how I kind of see it. What can you still have fun doing? So if you're getting out of shape, you can still have fun getting in shape. Mm-hmm. That's something that life's always going to give you an opportunity to do. You can never be in like perfect shape, you know, unless you're still getting paid millions to like, you know, dunk and, you know, the whole football. Yeah. I understand that one as, yeah. as I'm trying to get into better shape for health, but mm-hmm. Hey man, it is, it is what it, it is, what it is in, in reference to just like, as we're getting older, just the, the things we have to achieve change or the orders change, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. But on that note, I think, I think we spoke a bunch. Any closing yeah. remarks? I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty content. I learned a lot about you in this conversation, but if you want to plug anything, let anybody know anything before we, uh, we head out. Definitely. I want a part two I, next I time need, for sure. I need, so this has been weighing on me. Go ahead. In 2013. I couldn't really, I was not as creative as I wanted to be. And I always appreciated that I had a kind of hub to hang out with you and just feel like I wasn't having the pressures of adapting to the office and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm still working on mixing and stuff and, and I'm trying to get this cable at some point for my preamp, but I'd like to revisit 2013. I want to do a punk tape. Very inspired by, excuse me, by Holt. And a few other things I've been kind of, kind of listening to. And uh, Fantastic Negalito, um, other, other shit. But I'd like to collab with you on a project I want to call Punk Tape. And I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know when I'm going to really lock down on it. But I'd like to have a feature with you. I'd like to lock in and do a couple songs with you for punk tape. I'm super about it. <laughs> any any creative muscle flex and, and you did help us back in the day a lot. So mm-hmm. there's there's no reason not to to extend that and get yeah. something cool going. I'm excited. Like I'm really excited. I'm really a chameleon when it comes to music. Mm-hmm. I'm known to be like more of a hip hop head, but I'm very like very 
chameleon-like. So I'm, I'm looking forward to some call and response with JP and just some different shit. <laughs> all right I'm man serious man no I'm, I'm super down to do I'm it fucking dead serious like i'm dead i'm dead serious man like even with the mic shit i'm not even really worried about i'm just like yo who can i lock in who who's always been a dream feature for me but i've just been kind of like not ready you know mm-hmm. dude we'll do it but anyways i think we're good on, on this podcast i want to thank you for being on it I want to thank you for uh, for being super cooperative and making the time. And yeah. is there anything you want to plug in? Like, do you want to see yeah, where yeah. we can Last find thing, your stuff? Um, yeah, Retro 1920. Uh, my aspiring, like, you know, um, brand or company name would be EST 1920. Um, my kind of pitch would be Grow Beyond. Kind of um, was, was inspired by the Yoda uh, conversation that he had in 7 and, and 8. Um you know, like the, the burden of the master is um, that our students um, grow. Um, they grow beyond what we teach them. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, my mission statement is to make others feel more comfortable in their own skin. Um, and I'd say just rewire, unlearn um, see see the world differently. Think in terms of opposite, something I'm really going to bring up in 2040. So I hope you guys have a chance to read. And what I just wrote down for today was, you know, number one, take risk. Try to have about 1800 on you to 2K. Take a risk. Think more in terms of risks than failures. What risk can you take? Mm-hmm. Uh, try to build an audience. You name your number. I'd say 150. Um, cultivate your um, energy. Cultivate whatever you're giving the most time to. Um, like a parent would, like your favorite parent or your favorite family member did for you. Mm-hmm. Um, grow pillars. Number four is is grow a pillar. Think in terms of whatever you do is a pillar. How is it gonna? How's your reputation gonna precede you and be uh, on your resume? Once you kind of develop those four, um, try to develop a room of one's own, and really think intimately about how that room is gonna look. Um, think of space in terms of negative space, like a painting. The more negative space a painting has, the better you're going to be as a person, as a, as a thinker. So, you know, sometimes if you're feeling lonely, you can enclose your room. Certain things in your room you can enclose so you feel more warm. If you're feeling claustrophobic, air out your room, minimalize it. So there's little trips, tricks like that where you think of terms of opposites that'll help you even just with your your daily life like you said sometimes your mental food that's also something like a sight thing that helps you uh six is your mission statement find your mission statement um treat treat your moves like a business a uh, seven cross-platform marketing once you have your mission statement you can like jp is doing you can cross over to podcasts you can cross over to music you can cross over to book deals because there's a certain um integrity there's a certain backbone there's a certain value you have certain um um kind of business model or or brand or thing you're giving to the audience that they know that's Mm -hmm. pure it's authentic um next after that once you build those seven try to take risk try to find some other sources of income some assets that you can use to um you know just grow your your wealth and then um nine is branding once you get there really brand i always every now and then i go back to what kanye did for donda 
and just seeing his bigger compartmentalized departmentalized game plan of like even down to like clothes to um nonprofits to uh film to amusement parks like i every month i lock in and i look at that donda mm-hmm. what i'm talking about that black and white brain map i go back yeah. and look at it and that's how you got to see branding uh 10 uh develop a kind of business model um, that's what we were talking about when I talked about the audience. You either have an audience that wants to be an early adopter and say, oh, y'all niggas sleep, like how I do with the Miami Heat on Instagram. Or um, you have your audience where um, they want to be the first one. You know, I want to be the first one to say that, you know, I tried this year in MSN7D. Or I was the first one, you know, I have the first Demigod limited print. So work on that. When you think of audience, try to cater to one of the two at the same time or at opposite times. Um, business model, that was a business model. 11, outsourcing. Once you get to the point, you can outsource, you know, um, or brain trust, which is talked about a lot and a lot in Creativity Inc. Just um, outsourcing if you can't do it. I use outsourcing as a last resort. But once you start picking up different things, it's okay to outsource. Um, just do it in a way that makes sense to you. That's still authentic to your audience. You know, like you might not want to outsource your your rhymes. You know? Yeah, true. You may not want a ghost writer, you know, but maybe maybe if you're used to like J. Cole's outsourcing a bit now, right? He's like, he's trusting more people with beats so he can focus more on the rhymes. So just knowing when to outsource is, is important. Like I did everything for the documentary, but I got lazy with the graphics and I learned it in school and I don't want to spend eight months trying to fine tune graphics because I'm very idiosyncratic. I outsourced it on Fiverr. Um, And sometimes you think you can't do something because you haven't outsourced yet. Like I didn't think I could write a book until I drew a cover of the book. So if you're like that, where everything's got to kind of click at the same time, forgot a way to outsource. You got Fiverr. um, You got things like, uh, I put it here. It's a you you have mastering um outsourcings that's free now have you have you checked any of that jp i don't dive into that i don't that's not part of my uh of my job description i don't fuck with that shit <laughs> i get you but i'm just saying for for maybe kids that are like 14 15 no i wouldn't to be honest you know? i wouldn't even know because yeah, so so there's a there's a website like lander and band lab that um you can just upload and it'll kind of like gain or kind of raise radio friendly to a radio friendly extent depending on what kind of platform you're you're using um mm-hmm. but yeah i was just giving that as an example as a form of uh, outsourcing i know you have an amazing team you know i was just saying for some people like some of my friends don't outsource their album covers or the, or any illustrations because they got fucking like these artists meccas you know that they've been tight with you know robbing liquor stores and you know I mean, hanging out with you know they they have like they just have like their their guys or their guys you know but if you don't have that you know definitely outsource and my last one because I know I'm talking to death um I was just gonna say that a lot of things are like very traditional biblical mm-hmm. um where like the market is law in that in that sense but finding a way to disrupt the market a bit right so like I've been watching football today before we started uh, talking and I was like hey in football you have rules right you have flags if you do certain things you can get in trouble there's there's rules and regulations but you always there's always every now and then that you have a you know you have a mahomes or in basketball you have a steph curry mm-hmm. you forget about the rules and the regulations and that and that creativity really sparks and you see somebody play the game like like you've never seen before and it's inspiring so 
those are kind of like my 12 steps. It's very different from what I have in, in my book, but it was just 12 things I was really thinking about intently before we started today. I can't say enough. Thank you, man. You've been a great guest. And uh, thanks to anybody who listened. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And we'll talk to y'all soon. Thank you. Awesome, oh God, dude. For talking so much, JP. I just, I was excited to talk. Man. No, that, that, that's fine. I, and I could stop the recording.